Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're going to play a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast on October 27, 2014. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is Bob Bro. Come on in. Come on in. Glad to have you. I have. Uh, I am fighting a bit of a sore throat tonight, so if I sound a little scratchy, that's why. It's that time of year, isn't it? It's been beautiful here in the St. Louis area, but people are getting sick because it, it'll get cool and wet, and then it gets warm. This weekend, we're supposed to have 80 degrees and then rain on Monday and Tuesday. No complaints, though. For October, it's been pretty darn nice. Pretty darn nice. Glad to have you along. We have a great show lined up this week. We're going to start things off with a Radio Noir episode of Nightbeat, featuring Frank Lovejoy from 1952. Then we're going to go visit Madison High School in an episode of Our Miss Brooks. And we're going to finish things up in Dodge City, Kansas, with an episode of Gunsmoke. It is not frequently played, and I think it's one that you will enjoy. So we've got a great show lined up this week. We're so glad you came along and joined us. And if you would just make yourselves comfortable, we're going to get started in just a minute.
things off tonight with a little Radio Noir. Going to play a show we haven't played in a while, an episode of Nightbeat from 1952 that featured Frank Lovejoy as uh, Randy Stone, reporter who had the Nightbeat. Pretty good show, and Frank Lovejoy was a fairly well-known actor. He uh, did a lot of movies, especially in the... uh, late 40s and early 50s. He also did a number of radio shows. The voice was pretty well known. I always remember he, in movies, he always sort of either played a tough guy or a quiet guy. He was in a number of war movies, I recall. I guess his most famous role was in the idle Lupino-directed film The Hitchhiker. He received a lot of notoriety for that. He was also in Home of the Brave. Uh, let me see. Of course, he was in Nightbeat. He was um, he was in the film version of I Was a Communist for the FBI. Number number of credits. He died fairly young. He and his wife were doing a play in New Jersey, uh, living in New York City. He was a native New Yorker, born in the Bronx. She woke up in the morning to find him in dead. He had died of a heart attack in his sleep, and she could not revive him, nor could the medical personnel that were called in, and that was the end of Frank Lovejoy, and I think he was only around 50 years old. So, kind of a sad ending. All right, so here we go. We are going to go back to this NBC show that this particular episode was originally broadcast on uh, September 25th, 1952, and the name of the episode is Bug Killing. And this was written by Kathleen Height, who did a number of scripts in the 50s and was a very, very good writer. So this is a good script. I hope you enjoy it. Frank Lovejoy in... This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. I guess any newspaper man will tell you that if you're a reporter, you have to be interested in people. You have to be interested in them to want to write about them, and you have to like people in order to want the facts about them set down straight so that they'll get a fair shake. Yes, you have to want to know about people, all right. Only sometimes a reporter finds out things he wishes he didn't know. And sometimes it's hard to go on liking people after you've found out. It was getting to be a habit, a nightmarish habit, standing beside homicide Lieutenant Tilson at the morgue and hearing the same report. Three times in the last three weeks we'd stood there, and now, number four. 
This one left choir practice, never got home. What's her name? Mary Sims. Any connection between her and the other three? Yeah, they had a lot in common. All blonde, all about 25, all pretty, and all knifed to death. Same old pattern. Four young women from four different parts of Chicago. Their families say none of them knew each other. Maybe the killer knew him, maybe he didn't. I don't think he did. I, I don't think it matters to him who he kills just so long as he kills. I know. I read your column on it last night. Thanks for not asking for my head like the rest of the press has. Well, I'd settle for your head if that'd solve anything. You don't have to be smart to catch up with a psychopath. You have to be lucky. Well, maybe we're getting lucky. Mary Sims had a steady boyfriend. She's supposed to be out of town right now. But anyway, we can at least connect her to some guy. The other three didn't seem to go anywhere but the YWCA. Uh, you got everything you need from here? Yeah, I guess so. Well, let's go out to the office. I want to check him in the station. Uh, what's this guy's name, her boyfriend? Uh, Blake. Al Blake. We're checking on him. His landlady said he left on a business trip yesterday afternoon. Mary Sims was killed last night, around midnight, we figure. The body wasn't found until this afternoon. When did Bug call? <laughs> That's just it. Before the other three murders, he's always called, said he was about to kill. He didn't call this time. Wonder why he slipped up this time. Because he's a screwball. It takes a screwball to do a serious killing like this. It takes one to call the police beforehand. This is Bug, he always says. This is Bug, I'm going to kill her tonight. And then he hangs up. He may be sick, like you said in your column, but... In my book, he's off his base. I'll get that. City Morgue, Lieutenant Tilson. Oh, yeah, he's here. Hold on. It's for you, Randy. Oh, thank you. Hello. Sorry, Randy. You gonna languish down there at the morgue much longer? Uh, you got a better idea? Yeah, when's your way back to the office? I got some action going. What kind of action? It'll keep till you get here. Make it quick, huh? I'll fly. Gotta check into the office, Lieutenant. If you get a line on Bug or the Blake guy, let me know, will you? Sure, Andy. Otherwise, I'll catch up with you later. Tilson was on a spot. So was the rest of the police department. So, as a matter of fact, was all of Chicago. We've had our share of psychopaths, but this killer's pattern and method seem somehow to show a little extra menace. Not the least of which was calling the police before committing each crime. This is Bug. I'm going to kill her tonight. Only this time, in the case of Mary Sims, he didn't call. Maybe the pattern was breaking down. Farley listened as patiently as he ever does while I told him the latest on killing number four. They better get a lead on this bug or whoever he is or the whole city of Chicago will march in the police department. Maybe they got a lead when they find this Al Blake guy. If Tilson can't cut it, get him out of there. But you sit back all serene and philosophical saying the police are doing the best they can. After all, they're dealing with a sick man. Yeah. You said you had some action going, Farley. Yeah, I do. You know Professor Murray Blenheim? The psychologist? Well, I've heard of him. I've never met him. No, he's due here now. As long as the star's attitude in this is going to be so all-fired psychological, I decided to hire a guy who knows the field to do a series of articles. Uh, what do you want me to do, turn in my badge? I want you to help him. You know the facts, he can handle the dream stuff. Ought to sell a lot of papers. Yes, and that's what we're here for, isn't it? If we don't sell papers, we're not here. It's that simple. Well, as a matter of fact, I think hiring Blenheim is a pretty bright idea. I don't know how you thought of it. 
Oh, you don't, don't you? Well, let me tell you something. I didn't think of it. What do you think of that? Well, I think that's wonderful. Who thought of it? Blenheim himself called late this afternoon, said he thought there was a great need for the clinical scientific approach to the problem, said people ought to know what they're up against, the kind of mind they're dealing with, said we shouldn't attack problems of this sort emotionally, said this killer was a sick man and... Yeah, mm-hmm, that's what I've been saying. Yeah, but when you say it, it sounds like bad reporting. When Blenheim says it, it's true. See the difference? Oh, sure. Come in. Mr. Farley? Yes? I'm Professor Blenheim. Oh, glad to meet you, Professor. This is uh, Randy Stowe. How do you do, Stowe? Professor Blenheim? Well, sit down, Professor. Randy and I were just talking about you. Blenheim was a small man, and yet you could feel a stature about him. His manner was quiet and reflective, but his mind was keen with an intellect that cut through emotion to the core of fact and truth. I told him about Mary Sims and about Bug. And this Bug chap didn't call the police this time? Well, it's the first break in his pattern. The police haven't heard from him since before he committed the third murder. The fellow's insane. Why do you expect him to act in a pattern when you know right off he's insane? Probably because he has acted in a pattern up until now, Mr. Farley. All insanity, you know, is not that of a raving maniac. How simple it would be if it were. No, Bug has behaved in a specific methodical pattern until the Mary Sims murder. I believe it is highly significant that this pattern has been broken. Well, this Al Blake, Mary Sims' boyfriend, is the nearest thing to a direct lead the police have had. Well, maybe this boyfriend Blake and this Bug character are the same guy. That'd make it simple. I don't think we can plan on a simple solution, Mr. Farley. Blake is so far merely the sole suspect. He may be quite innocent. We must be as anxious to protect him if he is innocent as we are anxious to convict him if he's guilty. Well, no one wants to convict an innocent man, but everyone seems to agree that this killer is insane. Generally speaking, yes. But insanity is not black against white, Mr. Farley. Normalcy is an area, not a point. The line between sanity and insanity is often imperceptibly faint. So faint, unfortunately, that crimes of this nature cannot so far be prevented before they occur. Oh, by the way, Stone, I've read your column. I think it's well done. Sensitively done. Well, thank you. I've uh, heard comment both ways. I uh, hope you'll, free, you'll feel free to call on me any time of the day or night, Stone. Uh, I want to help any way that I can. And now I, I must go, gentlemen. You know where to reach me if you want me. I'm in the book. I uh, can expect the first article tomorrow, Professor Blenheim? Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Farley. Tomorrow. Farley left shortly after Blenheim did. I checked through some mail that had come in during the day and was about to call Tilson when he called me. We got a line on Blake, Randy. I've sent some of the boys out to his apartment. His landlady says he came home in a hurry a while ago, left again shortly afterward. He's running from something. Has he been gone long this time? Uh, maybe half an hour. We got everybody looking for him. Broadcast his full description, his cars. We'll find him. All right, I'll be, I'll be down, Tilson, right away, and thank you for calling. Sure, uh, I hope this is it. And so do I. Hello. Is this Randy Stone? Yeah, yeah, why? This is Bug. Bug? You know who I am. You've been writing about me. All of them have. Now listen, I haven't got much time. You've got to listen. Okay, I'm listening. Only why call me? Because if I call the police again, I'll have to talk a while. It'll give them a chance to trace the call. You tell them for me. Tell Tilson. What'll I tell him? Tell him I didn't kill the Sims girl. Get that? I didn't kill her. 
Have you killed any of them, Bug? Sure, the first three. They were mine. I told the police I'd kill them. I did. But this Mary Sims, I didn't kill her. Somebody's trying to make it look like I did. You've got to tell Tilson. I didn't kill Mary Sims. The others, I had to kill. But not her. Well, she was killed the same way, Bug. She was knifed. I've seen them all. Don't. Don't argue with me. Just tell Tilson what I said. And listen. I've seen what you wrote in the paper about me. That I'm sick. Look. You don't understand. He makes me do it. It's his fault. I have to do it because he won't. Don't you see that? Well, who is he? Who makes you do it? You just tell Tilson what I said. Make sure you do that. And look, I... Maybe I'll talk to you again. You be at the Copper Bar in an hour. Got that? The Copper Bar on Clark Street. The Copper Bar on Clark Street in an hour. Okay, Bug, I'll be there. Yeah, and listen. I'll find you wherever you are when I got something to say. At that point, I didn't know whether Bug would show up at our rendezvous or not. I only knew that I'd talked to a man who sounded rational, a man who was indignant because someone was charging him with four murders and he'd only committed three. I found Tilson at headquarters, reported Bugs' conversation with me. What do you think, Randy? Well, I think I'll be at the Copper Barn half an hour from now. <laughs> sure. We'll all be there. He won't show up if he thinks it's a trap. It won't look like a trap. You go inside, we'll stick out around the place. Uh, what, I, what I meant was... Do you think the guy was telling the truth? All I know is what he said. If it was Bug, and he said it was, he admitted he killed the first three. Now, why would he admit that and deny killing the fourth? I don't know. Maybe he is telling the truth. Then again, maybe the guy you talked to wasn't Bug. And then after that, maybe Bug and Al Blake are one in the same gent. I, I, I don't know. How about Blake? Found him yet? No, not yet. It's a funny thing, though. That copper bar place you're going to isn't far from where Blake lives. <laughs> That's what I love about this whole thing. It's full of maybes and who knows. This could be the beginning or the end or nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'll be glad to know my boss Farley's got the whole thing licked. He's hired Professor Murray Blenheim to do a series of psychological studies on the crimes for the start. Oh, swell. Tell Blenheim to stick around. Either way this thing goes, I'll be in the market for a psychologist. At H hour, I moved into the copper bar on Clark Street. Tilson and some well-placed cohorts had it covered fore and aft, and even I couldn't tell where they were when I walked in off the street and sat down at the bar. There was no one else at the bar. What people were there were at tables or in the booze or draped around the jukebox. Yeah, mister? Ah, bourbon, I guess. Water on the side. Okay. <laughs> hey, your clock there, right? Well, just about. Yeah, it's pretty close to midnight, give or take five minutes. There you go. Thank you. You're just having the one drink? Yeah, for now. Oh, look, I might get a message here. Someone might ask for me. My name is Randy Stone. Yeah. Oh, you already got one call. When? A few minutes ago. It was a guy. What'd he say? Just asked if you were here. I yelled your name around the joint, and I told him no one here by that name. How about a message? You leave one? No, no, no. Didn't leave no message. Well, maybe that was it. Maybe I missed him. Where's your phone? In that booth over there. Hey, maybe that's your call now. Yeah, maybe it is. 
Hello? 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 Hang up on me. Hey, what's going on out there? Tell some. It's okay, Randy. We got him. I left the copper bar and its bartender in a state of shock and followed Tilson to the emergency hospital. Tilson and his men had spotted Al Blake's car on Clark Street near the bar. When he returned to the car and they approached him, he took off down the street. Tilson gave chase and winged him. I waited for Tilson to come out of Blake's room at the hospital. How is he? He's not hurt. I, I caught him in the shoulder. He's scared stiff, though. Won't say a word. I don't suppose your friend Bug kept his appointment, huh? Well, the bartender said someone called me there just before I got to the bar. Phone started ringing again about the time you drew a bead on Blake, and when I answered, whoever it was had hung up. Proves nothing. You don't actually know it was Bug on the other end of the line before he hung up? No, and I don't know that it wasn't. Maybe Blake's your man. That's what you think, isn't it? That's what I hope, that's all. At this moment, about Blake, all I know is that he's running from something, and he's got a hole in his shoulder because of it. Emergency hospital. No, just a moment. Lieutenant Tilson. Uh, yeah, coming. Uh, stick around, Randy. Lieutenant Tilson. Oh, oh yeah, Bonnie. You did, huh? Sure. Better take him to the lab first. Uh, is that all you found? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be here. Keep in touch. Thanks, Bonnie. That was one of the guys I sent out to Blake's apartment. They just found some of his clothes in the incinerator. The spots on them look like blood. Well, you said this could be the beginning or the end. Could be both. Yeah. I have an idea that sending them to the lab first is a waste of time. Blake's wound so tight shut in there, I'll bet all I'd have to do is show the clothes to him and he'd crack wide open. Where are you going? Oh, I'm going to call Blenheim. If this thing is going to break, I'd like to have him in on it, Okay. Sure. Okay with me. Hello? Oh, Randy Stone, Professor Blenheim. Oh, yes, Stone. I took you at your word to call any time of the day or night. I meant for you to. What can I do for you? Well, it uh, looks like a break in the case. The police have Mary Sims' boyfriend. He hasn't talked yet, but... Looks like something's going to give pretty soon now. I thought maybe you'd want to be here when it happens. Oh, indeed I would, Stone. Where are you? I'll dress and catch a taxi as soon as I can. Well, I'm at the emergency hospital not far from you. Never mind the cab. There's time. I'll come by and pick you up. Splendid. I'll be expecting you. I was halfway glad of a chance for a ride. It was cooler along the outer drive on the way to Blenheim's apartment. And it didn't hurt to breathe something besides the atmosphere of the city morgue and the emergency hospital. It was still the dead of night. Now tattletale gray of dawn in the east. Most of Chicago was asleep. I wondered what they'd wake up to. Professor Blenheim's apartment building was one of those good addresses on the near north side. He was in the last stages of dressing when he admitted me. His apartment was as quiet and scholarly as he was. Sit down, Stone. I won't be a moment. Oh, thank you. Uh, don't rush. We're not in that big a hurry. I'll get my coat in the other room. Mind if I look around? Not at all. There's brandy in the decanter. Oh, thank you, but uh, no thanks. You do your work here? Mm -hmm. Some of it. My work's never done, I'm afraid. 
There are books to write, studies to make, committees to serve on, lectures to give. Mm. And in your free time, you volunteer to write a series of articles for the Star. Well, there's so much work to do in my field, Stone. Psychology is not exactly a new work, but it's relatively so in the matter of public acceptance, for example. Part of my hope for this series is that out of it may come some intelligent reaction that will one day reflect in our laws. You're really sincere about this, aren't you? Really dedicated. Is that so surprising? Oh, a little. Not many men would find the time or manufacture the time, whatever it is you do, to devote to the work that you believe in. Perhaps that's why I have the time. I have nothing else to devote my time to. But there are other things in a man's life. In my case, Stone, there were other things. If you're interested, there is a reason. A single human reason that drives me. Yes, I'm interested. Her picture's there on the desk. Her name was Catherine. She was my wife. Oh, she's... Well, she was very pretty. Yes. She's been dead five years. I'm sorry. She was murdered. The man who killed her must have had the same warped mentality we're up against in this killer. A must have had? Don't you know? So far as I know, Catherine's killer is still at large. The crime was... was never solved. Professor Blenheim, you all right? Yes. Yes, I... Just felt dizzy all of a sudden. Here, let me help you to the couch. Oh, it's, it's foolishness. I, I'm just tired, that's all. How about you having some of the brandy? Oh, no, no thanks, don't it? It'll pass. It happens sometimes when I talk about Catherine. Remember. Now you just take it easy. Can I get you a doctor or anything? Oh, no. No, it, it isn't that important, really. It's. Besides, we've got to be going. There's work ahead. No, no, no. You stay here, get some rest. I'll let you know what happens with Blake. I really want to go, Stone. I can't give in to this thing, and perhaps I can be of some value there. Forget it. I'll call you in the morning. I've seen men kill themselves with work before, driven by all kinds of motives. It didn't seem fair somehow that a man who was obviously trying so hard to forget a great grief would, by the very nature of his work, be plunged into the middle of remembering. I wanted to tell Tilson about Blenheim, but when I got back to the emergency hospital, it all seemed a little beside the point. I thought you were going to miss the whole thing. Blake confessed. He killed Mary Sims? Yeah, we showed him the clothes we found in the incinerator. That cracked it. He said she was throwing him over. She'd fallen for the choir leader or something like that. Said he tried to make it look like the other murders. Well, that was Bugs' point. I don't know. Blake could have done them all. He says no, but you can't tell. We're going to check in the morning with the parents of the other girls to see if Blake knew any of them. Now, if anybody cares, I'm heading for the sack for a while. Emergency hospital. Who? Wait a minute, I'll, I'll see. You Randy Stone? Yeah. Oh, there's a call for you. Okay, hey, wait, will you, Tilson? Yeah, but make it quick. I'm out on my feet. Hello. Hello? This is Bug. Yeah? I told you I'd find you when I had something to say to you. Yes, that's right, you did. What happened to you earlier? I was around, but I saw the stakeout. I wasn't ready to walk into the trap yet. Now, Listen. You've got to help me this time. Really help me. I 
I waved Tilson to the phone, wrote the word bug on a slip of paper, and pushed it at him. He and the operator got busy on another line, checking the call, getting a tracer on it. I kept talking to Bug and listening. You listening to me? Sure I am. You better. It's important. You know Lincoln Park? Yeah, what about it? The zoological gardens there? There's a big monument not far from it. Can you find it? Yes, I can find it. Why? Get there as soon as you can. I'll be there. I'll meet you, see? This time I'll really meet you. I've got to talk to somebody quick, you understand? I understand. You want to meet me, I'll be there. Make it quick. It's got to be quick. Or maybe too late. I've just seen her. If you don't meet me, I'll... I'll have to kill her, too. Bug, don't do anything. Just go to the monument in Lincoln Park. I'll be there right away. Bug. We better get out there, Tilson. He says if I don't, he's seen a girl, he'll kill her. Don't worry, we'll have a convention out there. He ran out on one trap you set. We'll take our chances. How about it, bud? You find out where the call came from? Yeah, yeah, it's all here in the paper. It's a phone booth outside a filling station just off Lake Shore, not far from Lincoln Park. It's right on our way, Randy. Let's go. Tilson put out the call, and even as we sped toward the filling station Bug called from, we knew that half the police cars on the north side were closing in on Lincoln Park. They know their business. Tilson told them how to play it. We stopped around the corner from the filling station. Easy on the door when you get out. You think he's standing around here waiting to get caught? I think you're a whale of a lot better off if we can meet him here instead of the park. Come on. Yeah, yeah, I get a perfect view of a street that's empty and a station that's closed. Yes, you're right. Anyone for Lincoln Park? You never made a mistake, huh? Come on. The night was still dark when Tilson let me out at the park entrance. The black ceiling of a storm coming was fastening itself across the sky from the east. I walked up a pathway toward the zoological gardens and the monument Bug designated. My insides were knotting up tight, even though I knew there was protection somewhere behind every tree and bush in the area. I stopped at the monument and waited. You took a long time. Where are you, Bug? Stay there. Stay right there. I'll talk from here. What about the girl, Bug, the one you saw tonight? I'm tired. You don't know how tired I am. The job's too big. I thought I could handle it, but it's too big. You're right, Bug. You're tired. You need a rest, a long rest. She won't stay dead. That's the trouble. If she'd just stay dead once, but she won't. I'm tired. Tired, I... Can't kill her anymore. Have you killed her many times, Bug? Four times. That ought to be enough. But she keeps coming back. I see her. Lately, I see her all the time. Who is she? (laughs) 
five years ago, the first time. He wanted her dead, but he wouldn't kill her. He made me do it. Then he left me alone until a little while ago. She came back. Three times she came back. And I killed her. And then tonight, I saw her again. <laughs> Who did you see? Catherine. It's always been Catherine. You got him, Randy? Yeah. Yeah. Let's have some light on him. Never seen him before. I have. It's Professor Blenheim. Schism was complete now, utter and complete. There were two people, really. Professor Blenheim and Bug, two distinct people, occupied one body. Good and evil, moral and immoral. Two worlds pulling against each other, each fighting for supremacy. Two worlds inside one man. That's schizophrenia. As Professor Blenheim, he couldn't accept the guilt of murdering his wife, so he had dizzy spells when he thought of Catherine. And when he gave way to them, fell finally into exhaustive sleep, Bug emerged to do all the evil Professor Blenheim could not do. Like I said, you have to want to know about people to write about them. And you have to want them to get a fair shake. Yes, and sometimes you find out things about people you wish you didn't know. But once you know, you've got to set the facts down straight. Copy, boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by Kathleen Height, with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of Professor Blenheim was played by Bill Lally. Featured were Frank Gerstle and Larry Dobkin and Ed Max. Frank Lovejoy appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. Once again, you have heard Randy Stone searching through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood. That was Frank Lovejoy. Is Randy Stone in Nightbeat. Is originally heard on NBC back in 1952, September the 25th, 1952, to be exact. Good show, very good show. And uh, we will play other episodes of Nightbeat in the weeks to come. <laughs> America is asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA. America's the greatest land of all. On a highway or a road along a levee. Performance is sweeter. Nothing can beat her. Life is completer in a 
sherry. So make a day today to see the USA and see it in your Chevrolet. Travel in east or travel in west, wherever you go, Chevy service is best. Outward or north, near place or far, there's a Chevrolet dealer for your Chevrolet car. I received a uh, really nice email from uh, Evelyn Taylor in Rolling Hills, California, which is kind of my old stomping ground near Long Beach there, Palos Verdes. Uh, Evelyn says, Dear Bob, I think you have mentioned before on your show that you graduated from high school in 1965. That's, that's correct. Do you realize that this then is the 50th anniversary of your high school graduation? You know, I thought about that. I thought, no, Evelyn, you're wrong. This is uh, 2014, so we have another year to go. Then I realized that the kids that are seniors in high school now will be graduating in 2015. So Evelyn's right. And thank you very, very much, Evelyn, for your, your very nice email. Any of you that graduated in 1965, it's 50 years this year. Boy, it's hard to believe. You know, you knew even as a young person it would go fast, but you never really appreciated just how fast. Hmm. Well, I decided to salute 1965 with some music that was popular that year. Notice how diverse our music was. Very unique that way. But here's the music we were listening to on our car radios as we drove to school back in 1965. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro.
At Long Beach Poly in 1965, we had a graduating class of about 900. And as we gathered in the auditorium, getting ready to march across the lobby into another larger auditorium, Mr. Seal, one of the principals of the school, was standing before us and he said, kids, I'd just like to say something to you for a minute. As you sit here now getting ready to go and receive your diploma, it's a big night for you. But he says, I'd just like you to take a minute and look around the room. Right now. Just look around, he said. He said, you see here before you friends that you went to elementary school with, went to junior high school with, went through high school with, maybe kids you played ball with, kids you studied with, maybe kids you dated. Turn around and look at them. Look at the faces. Many of these people, after tonight, you will never see again in your life. And I remember thinking, oh, that's not true. It was. So many of these kids went off to college in different cities. Many died in Vietnam. Mr. Seal was right. All of these kids that were part of our graduating class dispersed. And many of them we simply never saw again. They say we're young and we don't know We won't find out until we grow Well, I don't know Well, that's true Cause you got me Baby, I got you I got you, baby I got you 
1965 was a unique year. We still had a high school dress code in 1965. Girls had to wear skirts and dresses. Boys had to have their shirts tucked in and wear belts. But that was soon to change. Social consciences were very concerned about civil rights and the war in Southeast Asia. There was change in the wind. world it is exploding violence flaring bullets loading you're old enough to kill but not for voting you don't believe in war but what's that gun you're toting and even the Jordan River has bodies floating but you tell me over and over and over again my friend I you don't Don't you understand what I'm trying to say? Can't you feel the fears I'm feeling today? If the button is pushed, there's no running away. There'll be no one to save with the world in a grave. Take a look around you, boy. It's bound to scare you, boy, and you tell me over and over and over again, my friend. I you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. Yeah, my blood's so mad, feels like coagulating. I'm sitting here just contemplating. I can't twist the truth, it knows no regulation. Handful of senators don't pass legislation. And marches alone can't bring integration. When human respect is disintegrating, this whole crazy world is just too frustrating. And you. Tell me over and over and over again, my friend I you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction Think of all the hate 
there is in Red China, then take a look around to Selma, Alabama. You may leave here for four days in space, but when you return, it's the same old place. The pounding of the drums, the pride and disgrace. You can bury your dead, but don't leave a trace. Hate your next door neighbor, but don't forget to say grace and tell me. We'll play a few more songs from 1965 after our next uh, next show, but let's lighten things up right now. It's time for some comedy. Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> well, on our comedy corner tonight, we're going to travel back to Madison High School once again. This is an episode of Our Miss Brooks that was originally broadcast in September of 1955, September the 4th, I believe. This one uh, features, of course, Gail Gordon. It has Bob Sweeney in it, and you'll probably recognize the voice if you don't recognize the name. Talk a little bit about Bob Sweeney on the other side of the show. Also, by this time in uh, 1955, uh, Robert Rockwell had replaced uh, Jeff Chandler as Mr. Boynton. Name of this episode is Summer Vacation. Now, Anison, the tablets thousands of physicians and dentists recommend for fast relief of pain of headache, neuritis, neuralgia, and Bicidol mints that quickly rid stomach of gastric distress, present our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Well, many school teachers embarked upon their summer vacations as soon as school ended last June. But our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, could only afford one week away from the city and waited until September to make her departure. Yes, I wanted my vacation to remain fresh in my memory. I felt that in the long winter months ahead, I could use some glowing memories to warm my bones. Last Friday morning, the date I had set to leave town, my landlady sat down to breakfast with me. So you're finally going on your vacation, Connie. Yes, Mrs. Davis, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I know you have, dear. Ever since Mr. Boynton left town two weeks ago. You must miss him dreadfully. Me? Miss Mr. Boynton dreadfully? Why? Why? (laughs) We all know how you feel about Madison's handsome biology teacher, Connie. And it's just a shame that he's so bashful when it comes to women. Oh, I don't mind his being bashful when it comes to women. 
It's just this one particular English teacher who I mind is being bashful with when it comes to her, usually. <laughs> anyway, let's change the subject. All right, Connie. We'll talk about something else. Fine. Mr. Boynton is spending his vacation at Crystal Lake. So what? Mr. Boynton's spending his vacation at Crystal Lake. As far as I'm concerned, he can go his way and I'll go my way. Where are you going on your vacation, Connie? Crystal Lake. <laughs> it just happens that my picking out Crystal Lake for a vacation was merely a coincidence. As a matter of fact, I simply took a map of some surrounding resort towns and stuck a pin in it. And the pin landed on Crystal Lake. Who knows? I was afraid to look. <laughs> but Walter Denton's coming over to help me with my bags this morning, and I'd appreciate it if you don't mention Mr. Boynton in front of him. Well, why not, Connie? Walter knows you're fond of Mr. Boynton. Well, I'm fond of Walter, too, Mrs. Davis, but that kid can be an awful tease at times, usually when it's most embarrassing. So do me a favor. When he gets here, I'm just going to Crystal Lake to relax, huh? Okay. Now eat your cereal, dear. I'll go see if the... Oh, that's Walter now. The door's open, Walter. Come on in the dinette. Farewell, oh, fairest flower of the faculty. <laughs> and you, Miss Brooks, I beat her saying goodbye. Aloha. Don't push me. I'm going. <laughs> Miss Brooks is going to Crystal Lake to relax, Walter. That's the only reason in the world she's going there. Just to relax. That's right, Walter. And guess who'll be there to relax with her? <laughs> Mrs. Davis, please. Oh, I'm sorry, Connie. Well, I'll go get the coffee started. I'll be back in a few minutes. Take your time. Oh, it'll be nice to get away for a while. I've been typing reports for Mr. Conklin till my nails are worn down. Yeah, you've earned a good rest, Miss Brooks. And Crystal Lake is a great place to get it. It certainly is. It's also a great place to nail down Mr. Boynton. <laughs> He's still vacationing up there, you know. He is? Well, you might not believe this, Walter, but the fact that Mr. Boynton happens to be at Crystal Lake in the Beaver Lodge in room 124 is certainly news to me. <laughs> Tell the truth, Miss Brooks. Since he's been away, has Mr. Boynton called you much? He hasn't called me anything I couldn't repeat in mixed company. <laughs> oh, you mean has he telephoned? Well, to be perfectly honest, Walter, Mr. Boynton did phone me about a week ago, but I didn't enjoy the conversation as much as I should have. Why not? Well, Mr. Boynton told me that the desk clerk at Beaver Lodge, uh, Mr. Turner, was quite a snooper. And he used to listen in on the guest telephone calls. Oh, gosh, that's pretty hard to believe in a nice hotel like that. I didn't believe it myself until Mr. Turner cut in on us to deny the whole thing. <laughs> well, Turner or no Turner, you ought to phone Mr. Boynton and tell him you're coming up today. Not me, Walter. I want to surprise him. Yeah, but you haven't spoken to him in a week. He might have checked out. Checked out? Sure. But even if he hasn't, you don't have to give the surprise away. Just tell him you called to pass the time of day. Don't even mention that you're driving up. Well, I... I... Yo, that's my pal, Stretch Snodgrass, Miss Brooks. He said he was going to come over and say goodbye to you. Oh, I'm quite flattered. Stretch is Madison's most brilliant athlete. 
Physically, that is. <laughs> well, come in, Stretch. Yeah, I'll go help Mrs. Davis in the kitchen. Stretch is pretty bashful sometimes. He'll probably feel more comfortable if he talks to you alone. All right, Walter. See what's holding up my coffee, will you? Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. Walter told me he was going away, so I just come by to say, Oof, Weezer's end. <laughs> Oof, Hoosers end? <laughs> Weezer's end. Well, that's a word Walter taught me. He told me it means goodbye. Gosh, if Oof Weezer's End doesn't mean goodbye, then my coming over to wish you Oof Weezer's End must make me out to be some kind of a dummy. But a very nice kind, Stretch. Actually, the word you have in mind is pronounced Auf Wiedersehen. Oh. Well, I never was much good at them French words. I know. English is where you shine. That's because you're my teacher, Miss Brooks. Don't spread it around. <laughs> well, I'm sure glad you're getting to go on a vacation. Me too, Stretch. I can use the rest. I'm going up to Crystal Lake for the week. It's a great place to relax. Well, it sure is. When it comes to relaxing, Mr. Boynton's one of the nicest guys to relax with. <laughs> Here's your beanie, Stretch. Oop Weezer's end. Before I go, Miss Brooks, I'd like to make a suggestion. If you're going to go up to the lodge, you ought to call Mr. Boynton first. But, Stretch, I don't well, want won't him to... I spoil the surprise. Just don't mention you're driving up. Just say you called to pass the time of day. This sounds like a conspiracy. Hiya, Stretch. Finished saying goodbye to Miss Brooks yet? Just about, Walter. Yeah, good. Now, if you'll give us the keys to your car, Miss Brooks, Stretch and I will see that it's all gassed up and ready to go. Fine, here they are, but make it fast, boys. I'd like to get started right after breakfast. Well, don't worry, Miss Brooks. We'll be back in a jiffy. Come on, Walter. Yeah, okay, Stretch. Well... Hasta la vista, Miss Brooks. Gracias, Walter. Adios, Stretch. Hasta vista, Miss Brooks. Here's the coffee, Connie. Nice and hot. Good. You know something, Mrs. Davis? As soon as I finish my coffee, I'm going to call Mr. Boynton on the phone, just to make sure he hasn't checked out of Beaver Lodge. But, Connie, you don't want him oh, to... Oh, it won't spoil the surprise. I'll just say I called to pass the time of day. I won't even mention that I'm driving up this morning. What a wonderful idea, Connie. When did you get it? Twice. <laughs> Hello? Uh, Mr. Boynton, uh, Miss Brooks is calling you from the city. Oh, thanks, Mr. Turner. Go ahead, Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Miss Brooks. My goodness, it's nice to hear from you. I was just wondering how you're enjoying yourself. How's the weather up there? Well, lately, the weather's been pretty good. Pretty good? 85 in the shade. <laughs> Please, Mr. Turner. Well, you can't beat that kind of weather no matter where you go. Mr. Turner. Yes, Miss Brooks? Goodbye. Oh, uh, goodbye. Uh, tell me, Miss Brooks, will you be able to get away for a bit of vacation before school opens? Oh, I'm afraid not, Mr. Boynton. Looks like I'll be stuck in the city. Are you planning to stay on at the lodge for a while? Well, yes, indeed. Planning to stay another week. Oh, it's heavenly here, Miss Brooks. Oh, are the fish biting? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Turner. I caught a whopper this morning, didn't I, Mr. Boynton? Well, it was a pretty good-sized fish. Pretty but... good? It was just the biggest trout you ever saw. Actually, it was a pickerel. You call a fish with those markings a pickerel? I'm surprised at your ignorance, Boynton. Now, just a minute, Mr. Turner. I happen to be a biology teacher, and I know my fish. Well, you don't know my fish. 
I've been fishing in these parts for 20 years. Fifteen of them have gone by since I got on the phone. Now, will you please let me continue my conversation? And who might you be, Missy? The name is Brooks, as in Trout. <laughs> now, will you please let me talk to my party? Of course, of course. Uh, who was it you were calling again? Mr. Boynton. I'll put you right through. Thanks. Hello, Mr. Boynton? Well, hello, Miss Brooks. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice again. <laughs> that goes double with me. Oh, gosh. You know, when I was out canoeing last night, with the moonlight dappling the lake with patches of silver, I got to thinking. Thinking about you, Miss Brooks. About me, Mr. Boynton? <laughs> yes. I couldn't help thinking that... Well, I'm afraid I have another call on the board. <laughs> Will you forgive me if I tear myself away for a minute? Tear to your heart's content, Mr. Turner. Uh, Mr. Boynton, you were thinking? Of how long it's been since I've seen you. I can't tell you how much I've missed you. Oh, sure you can. <laughs> Just tell me quickly before the offstage mystery voice comes back. <laughs> Come on, Mr. Boynton, tell me. Well... This may sound rather brash coming from me, Miss Brooks, but... Yes, Mr. Boynton? Gosh, I, I suppose I could tell you if I were with you, but over the phone, I'll, I don't know if I should. Oh, go ahead. I'll hold my ear. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's the use? I'll have to tell you some other time, Miss Brooks. I suppose so. Uh, but before we hang up, Mr. Boynton, you are definitely staying at Crystal Lake for another week. Well, that's my plan, Miss Brooks. I certainly appreciate your calling me like this. I'll admit I was quite surprised when I heard it was you, but... <laughs> well, I've always liked surprises. Well, you'd better. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like surprises, too, Mr. Boynton. Well, I guess I'd better say goodbye, Miss Brooks. Oof wheezes at uh, goodbye, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> Trying to do, Boynton? Bust my eardrums? Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Turner. There's something I've got to tell you right away. I'd like you to prepare my bill. Your bill? Yes. I've decided to drive down to the city and surprise Miss Brooks. Once Miss Brooks made what she thought was certain that Mr. Boynton was staying out at the Beaver Lodge, she finished packing her bags and sat down for another cup of coffee when the kitchen door opened. Hi, Miss Brooks. It's well, me. Harriet Conklin. What are you doing in town? I thought your folks had a cottage up at Crystal Lake. Well, they have, Miss Brooks, and I've been there all summer, but I just came down to surprise Walter Denton. Golly, you know how I feel about Walter. <sighs> He's my Mr. Boynton. Really? Who's mine? <laughs> I just ran into Walter and stretched down at the gas station. They told me they're getting your car in shape for your trip up to the lake. Well, what's keeping them? They've been gone almost two hours, and they were just supposed to get it gassed and oiled. Well, I heard Stretch say that it needed some minor repairs. Minor repairs? What happened? The rear end fell out. <laughs> oh, well, thank heaven it's nothing serious. <laughs> Oh, gee, it'll be good to have a date with Walter again. Daddy hasn't let me see much of him this summer. Gosh, sometimes Daddy acts like a principal even when he isn't in school. He's so stern and... 
Well, you know how he is, Miss Brooks. Let's not dwell on it. He's very conscientious, though. Why, he came into the city just to get some reports out to the Board of Education. Poor Daddy's been working like a dog. Poor Daddy's had a partner. I'm the one who's been typing those reports. I know, Miss Brooks. Daddy said he dropped by for them this morning. You see, he was with me when I ran into Walter and Stretch. Oh, dandy. Well, Connie, I... Oh, hello, Harriet. Hello, Mrs. Davis. What kind of a summer have you had? About two months, dear. (laughs) What brings you down to the city? Oh, I was lonesome for Walter, so I phoned him and asked him to ask his sister Betty to ask her mother to ask my mother if I could spend the weekend with her. From the picture, if you're asking, I'm dancing. (laughs) She said, okay, so here I am. Well, good for you, dear. Now, Connie, I prepared a little snack for you to take along on the trip. I'll just put it in this lunchbox for you. Well, all I need now is a car. Those boys don't get back soon. Maybe that's them. Maybe that's they. Here they come now. (laughs) It is I, Miss Brooks, your faculty comrade, Osgood Conklin. Oh. Do I detect a note of dejection in your greeting to me? Hmm? Oh, not at all, Mr. Conklin. Come in, won't you? Thank you. I hope I'm wrong, but it seems to me that when you first laid eyes on me, your face fell about a foot. It's just that I have a very heavy lower jaw. (laughs) Uh, Those papers you wanted to write here on the hall table. Yes, sir? All you have to do is scoop them up and scat. (laughs) Uh, Well, not so fast, my dear. I uh, understand you're going on a little trip today? Me? Oh, yes. Yes, I am. Well, I'm going back to Crystal Lake myself this afternoon. All by yourself, eh? Should be a nice trip. Well, I was hoping not to go by myself. You see, Mrs. Conklin has our car up at the lake. I came down here by bus, and my getting back poses quite a problem. What's the problem? Doesn't the bus that brought you down turn around? (laughs) (laughs) There's only one bus today, and it left an hour ago. Now, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but if you'd resort to a bit of subtle wheedling, I think you could talk me into making the trip with you. (laughs) With me? Oops, there goes that jaw again. Of course, if you really don't want me to accompany you, you have but to say the word. And I don't want you to be influenced by the fact that you're merely a teacher and I am your principal. A man in whom the superintendent of schools has vested the power to make your life in the coming term a pleasant, easy-going one or a miserable one. (laughs) Say, I'm driving up to Crystal Lake today. How about coming along, hmm? Well, thank you, Miss Brooks. This is a very pleasant surprise. Perhaps you'd better go home and pack, Mr. Conklin. Then when the boys Oh, I'm already packed, already packed. I left my bags out in your driveway so we can stow them away as soon as your car arrives. But I don't know just when that'll be. Walter and Stretch are having it fixed, and... Uh... Oh, ah, that's them. Uh, that's they. Uh, that's... Here they come now. Hiya, Miss Brooks. We got everything all... Oh, Mr. Conklin. You've got a heavy jaw, too, haven't you? <laughs> Hi, Mr. Conklin. What are you doing in the city? Giving your wife a vacation? (laughs) Oh, boy. 
boy, that's a good one. Giving your wife a vacation. Oh, did you hear that, Miss Bruce? Silence! I... <laughs> Is the car ready to roll? Yes, sir. We charged the bill, Miss Brooks. Everything's in 1A shippy shape. Hi, Daddy. Glad you finally got here. I... Walter, dear. Hi, Harriet. Dear. Oh, fudge. <laughs> well, Osgood, come on in. Uh, hello, Margaret. We haven't time for the amenities now. I'd like to get started for the lake. Miss Brooks is driving me up. Now, isn't that nice? Yes, it isn't, isn't it? <laughs> come on, Mr. Conklin. We'll go back through the kitchen. It's closer to the rear of the driveway. Uh, very well. Thanks for getting my car ready, kids. I'll see you in a week. Here's your lunchbox, Connie. I... Oh, dear, she's out back by now. I'll give it to her when they pull out of the driveway. Come on, Stretch, Walter. Let's all stand at the curb and wave goodbye to him. Yeah, oh, hurry come on, okay. Mrs. Davis. Come on. Yeah, I'm coming. Well, oh. here we are. Hello, folks. Why are you all standing out here? Mr. Boynton. What are you doing here? Well, I came down to surprise you, Miss Brooks. She'll be surprised, all right. She's just leaving for Crystal Lake with Mr. Conklin. But I don't understand. She said she couldn't get away from... Hey, look. They're pulling out of the driveway now. But goodbye, Daddy. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Harriet. Oh, Connie, you forgot your lunchbox. Oh, here it is, dear. Oh, thanks, Mrs. Davis. Goodbye, Miss Brooks, Mr. Conklin. Goodbye, Stretch. Goodbye, Stretch. Yeah, goodbye, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Walter. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> <laughs> I drove down to surprise you, Miss Brooks. But I thought you were. You and I'll... Boynton will have ample opportunity to socialize when school opens. Now drive on, Miss Brooks. Uh, but sir. Goodbye, Boynton! Yes. <laughs> Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Mr. Boynton. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Well, last, we're on our way. Crystal Lake, here we come, eh, Miss Brooks? <laughs> ra, ra, ra. We should accomplish plenty over this weekend. I've taken considerable paperwork with me. Nothing like getting it done in the country, though. I can see it now. Me lying in a hammock and you typing in the bright sunshine. <laughs> well, if that's the case, I'd better pick up some sunglasses. Goodbye, Goodbye, Goodbye Mr. Boynton. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. What is this, a merry-go-round? <laughs> We've left this place twice already. Now, drive on at once, Miss Brooks. Uh, ju just a moment, please. There's really nothing to keep me in the city, Miss Brooks, so if there are no objections, I'll be happy to ride back to the lake with you. Well, I have an objection. Overruled. <laughs> so are you. The back of this heap is loaded with luggage, and three in the front would make for an extremely uncomfortable journey. Besides, among our luggage, you will note that there is a typewriter which Miss Brooks and I shall use at the lake for official school business. This, then, is a business trip. Isn't it, Miss Brooks? It's no pleasure. But I still think... As your principal and superior officer, I order you not to set foot in this car. Well, I can't very well disobey an order. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Mr. Boynton. I 
forgot to take the brake off. <laughs> if you don't get us off this street, I... Don't yes, sir, we're getting right now. I, uh, I hope you know the road. I won't brook any further delays. Oh, yes, sir. I know this terrain very well. I've driven up several times. Oh, good, good. Then maybe I can take a little nap. Cars always make me sleepy. You won't mind if I drop off? Mind, he says. <laughs> you go right ahead, Mr. Conklin. You know, Mrs. Conklin usually hums something before I fall asleep. Gotten sort of accustomed to it. Do you suppose you could hum a little tune for me, Miss Brooks? I suppose so. I'm quite a good hummer, especially when I'm happy. Oh, fine, fine. Then suppose you start now. Hum something appropriate to the occasion. All right. Let's see. I'll be glad when you're bum-de-bum-bum-bum. I'll be glad when you're bum-de-bum-bum-bum. Say, uh, that's quite a catchy tune. What's the name of it? The name of it? Oh, it's called, I'll be glad when you're mine, you doll face you. Since Mr. Boynton surprised me by returning to town, I was hardly in the mood to chauffeur Mr. Conklin up to Crystal Lake. But he insisted that I drive, so drive I did. Oh, oh, well, well, I've had quite a nice snooze. How long have we been driving, Miss Brooke? About a half hour. If you don't mind, Mr. Conklin, I'd like to stop and powder my nose. Of course. Uh, where, uh, where are we now? No. Stop that yammering! Miss Brooks, this conduct is unforgivable. If you think... Miss Brooks, quick, get out and look at your exhaust pipe. I think it's loose. All right, Walter. Uh, just sit still, Miss Conklin. This won't take a minute. If you don't get a move on, Miss Brooks, you'll wish you had never seen Madison High. I'll hurry, sir. Miss Brooks, I got an idea. If you'll just pretend that you banged your head on the fender while you're looking at the exhaust pipe, you can say that you feel faint and that you can't drive. Then you'll get to stay here with Mr. Boynton. But how can I bang my head on the fender? Stoop a little. I'll help you. Well, lower. I don't know, Walter. Lower. There. That's just right. Hey, Miss Brooks hit her head on the fender. Mrs. Davis, hurried. I think Miss Brooks is going to faint. Oh, oh, oh. Honey, Can I be of any help? Miss Brooks, speak to me. Speak to me. Later. <laughs> come on, let's get her into the house. Give us a hand, Stretch. Come on. Oh, yeah. Sure, Walter. Yeah, Just lean on my arm, Miss Brooks. Take no, the right up the walk into right. the house. What's going on here? Why are you going into the house, Miss Brooks? Oh, oh, she's in bad shape, Mr. Conklin. But how will I get to Crystal Lake? Oh, take my car, Mr. Conklin. You're very welcome to it. But, but I can't drive this old-fashioned gear ship. Please quit jabbering, Mr. Conklin. We got a sick cookie on our hands. <laughs> In you go, dear. Now close the door, boys. So far, it's working great. Oh, this is no time for laughing, Walter. Gosh, look at that welt on your head, Miss Brooks. I'll go get some iodine and a glass of water. Oh, uh, but Stretch, let me uh, explain. Put her on the couch, Miss Davis. I'll be right back. Perhaps you'd better lie down, Connie. Yeah, then if old Marblehead, uh, Mr. Conklin, comes in, it'll look legitimate. Miss Brooks, are you feeling any better? Oh, uh, no, Harriet. I'm, I'm afraid I can't be moved. Please tell your father I'm sorry this happened. 
Oh, I can't tell him anything now, Miss Brooks. Daddy just drove off for Crystal Lake in your car. But the gear shift, he said he can't drive my car. He can't. So he ordered Mr. Boynton to drive. <laughs> what? Uh, here, Miss Brooks, here's the iodine and a glass of water. Keep the water, Stretch. I'll drink the iodine straight. <laughs> Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden Transcribed, was produced and directed by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis and Joe Quillen, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Bob Rockwell, Gloria McMillan, Leonard Smith, and Bob Sweeney. Be sure to be with us next week for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. is originally heard on September the 9th, 1954. That was our Miss Brooks. The name of that episode was Summer Vacation. Do you remember Bob Sweeney? He uh, he did a lot in the production end of uh, radio and television, the early days of television, but he was also an actor, as you heard tonight. And I remember he was a, a short, bald guy, and uh, he even had a television show of his own, and I'm trying to remember what it was. It was, was it he and his wife or he and a business partner? Well, we'll look that up. But I remember Bob Sweeney. He always kind of reminded me sort of a sophisticated Arnold Stang, if that makes sense. And those of you that uh, are not baby boomers don't know who I'm talking about when I mention Arnold Stang, but he was uh, a stalwart in uh, the early days of television as an actor. He and Bob Sweeney both. More R. Miss Brooks in the weeks to come. One of our favorite shows. And uh, most of the episodes we listen to have such great sound quality, so we really enjoy playing them. They were really well-written scripts and very, very funny. Curiosity, people say, killed the kitty cat one fine day. Well, this may be true, but hear me, here is what to do for curiosity. Get the encyclopedia, E-N-C-Y-C-L-O-P-E-D-I-A, encyclopedia, if you want to know the answers, here is the way, just look inside this book and you will see. Everything from A clear down through Z In the encyclopedia E-N-C-Y-C-L-O-P-E-D-I-A We are saluting 1965 Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte Charlotte, don't you cry Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte, he'll love you till he dies. Oh, hold him, darling, please hold him tight, and brush the tear from your eyes. You weep because you had a dream last night. You dream that he said goodbye He held two roses within his hand 
two roses he gave to you The red rose tells you of his passion The white rose his love so true Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte Charlotte, don't you cry loved that song. Really, really loved it. It's, it's amazing. In 1965, we were still listening to Patti Page, but there's no question that the Beatles and Bob Dylan were really taken over. Jingle, jangle, morning. 
In this dirty old part of the city When the sun refused to shine People tell me there ain't no use in trying Now my girl, you're so young and pretty And one thing I know is true Dead before your time is due, I know. Watch my daddy in bed and tired. Watch his habit turn and gray. He's been working and slaving his life away. Oh, yes, I know. He's been working so hard. So young and pretty And one thing I know is true Yeah, you'll be dead before your time is due Know it Watch my daddy in bed and tired Watch his hand been a turning gray He's been working and slaving his life away I know he's been working so hard Well, there you have just a a few of the great songs we were listening to back in 1965 when we graduated from high school, unbelievably 50 years ago.
that music make you feel like walking tall? Walking down Front Street, Dodd City, Kansas, 1870s. Walking with Matt Dillon, Chester Proudfoot, Doc Kitty and the gang on an episode of Gunsmoke. And tonight we've got one that we don't play very often. In fact, uh, I bet you haven't heard this one in quite a while, if you've heard it at all. It was originally broadcast on June the 26th in 1954. And it features John Daner and Vic Perrin. And Vic Perrin plays a pig farmer by the name of Obi Ridges. And he's a man with claustrophobia. And that's the name of the episode. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Gunsmoke. City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Smoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. We'll ask whoever's living in that cabin up ahead if there's any water around here, Chester. Most likely there ain't. These settlers put up a cabin just anywhere and then start praying for rain. Oh, we could have camped back on Smoky Hill River. No, sir. I'd rather go dry. Just as long as we make Dodge by tomorrow night. <laughs> we'll make it. I never seen such a place as that Fort Wallace, Mr. Dillon. Man could go plumb out of his mind living there. Well, they don't build army posts for pleasure-loving people like you, Chester. I've been in the army. Oh? Uh, like it? Well, sir, we didn't always see eye to eye, me in the army, but at least I didn't get killed. <laughs> well, that helped. Hey, I'll bet you look pretty bold in a uniform, Chester. Oh, my, yes. I surely did. <laughs> I wonder if there's anybody home here. Hello. Place looks deserted, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. 
Uh, here, hold my horse, Chester. I'll take a look. There's a man in here, Chester, lying on the floor. What? He's dead. Somebody killed him. A little bit of fire out now, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, we better get started. Looks like rain this morning. That's yeah, too early to tell for sure. Too bad we don't know that fellow's name, Mr. Dillon. Sure do hate to bury a man and not even put a marker on his grave. I'd rather know the name of the man that killed him. Yeah. It's awful easy to get by with killing a man way out here. Yeah, too easy. Say, look over there, Mr. Dillon. Yonder comes a couple of riders. Yeah, I see them. What do you suppose they're carrying rifles for? Stand over there, Chester, about ten feet from me, huh? Yes, sir. And keep the hair out of your eyes. Yes, sir, I will. men doing here? Do you own this place? I wouldn't live in a shack like that. We got a real house over on Turkey Bend. But that don't answer my question, mister. What are you doing here? We found a dead man in the cabin there last night. So we stopped to bury him. A dead man? That must have been Riley. What happened to him? He got shot. Who'd have shot a nice fellow like Bob Riley? Maybe they'd done it, Deaver. Probably did. You think we ought to hang him? It'd be easier to shoot him and leave him here as a kind of a warning. Good idea, Giles. You move that rifle one inch, mister, and you'll die for it. Now go ahead, mister. You're calling it. It ain't worth a chance. All right, mister, whoever you are, you and your friend get mounted and ride out of here. You're Giles, huh? And Deaver? That's right. We don't want people around here. Might get an idea to settle down. You two start riding, and right now. Uh, Chester. Yes? That coffee you made this morning was weak as well water. Get that fire going again and build some more, huh? Okay, sir. Sure got a lot of nerve, mister. He don't even blink to even look at him. We'll be by here later, mister. We won't ride up so close next time. You better be nowheres around. Come on, Scott. Stop breathing, Mr. Dillon. It was two against two, Chester. We'd have made out all right. Yes, I know, but it's the waiting that chills me. Say, you know something? I'll bet anything it was them that killed the fellow that lived here. Maybe. And I'd sure like to know more about those two. But right now, we better get started for Dodge. Yes, sir. I'll go get the horses. Chester and I got mounted and rode maybe a mile and a half when... We came across a sort of a camp. There was a man there, a tall man with long yellow hair and bright blue eyes that seemed always to be looking into the distance. 
He had a mule and an old wagon and some hogs that he kept in a well-built, partly covered pen. But he hadn't put up a shelter of any kind for himself, and it didn't look as though he was about to. We got down and walked over to where he was standing by a small fire. Sit down, men. I got no coffee, but you're welcome that pot of chicory. There's a spoonful of molasses in it. Well, thank you, but we just stopped to say hello. No need to hurry off, mister. My name's Obie Ridges. Glad to know you, Ridges. I'm Matt Dillon, and this is Chester Proudfoot. How you do? I don't meet many people out here. Are you raising hogs? All my life. Not here, though. Where do you live, Ridges? You, you, you got a house somewhere? Ain't lived in a house since I was nine years old. I like it outside. I need a breathe. Well, you're outside here, all right. And I ain't gonna move, no matter what they say. Uh, no matter what who says? Them two fellas up on Turkey Bend. Uh, Giles and Deaver? Them's the ones. Uh, tell me, Ridges, there's a cabin about a mile and a half north of here. You know the man that lives there, Riley? He comes by here now and then. Well, we buried him last night. Somebody shot him. Hmm. That's bad. That's real bad. You better tell the law about it if you're going anywhere, mister. I don't hold with murdering a man. Well, I'm a U.S. Marshal, Richards. That a fact. Well, Don't you ever get into Dodge? I never have, but I'm going today. What, in that wagon? It'll take you a week. No, sir. I'm going horseback. Well, I swear I don't see no horse. Well, right out there, fella. Here he comes now. Now, there's Jim Branch leading him. Jim talked me into going to Dodge with him, but I know I won't like it. I'm just doing it for Jim's sake, kind of coddling him along, making him feel good. Where does this Jim Branch live? He's got a little place over west of here somewhere. Jim's nothing but a cowboy, Marshal. He'll be drifting on one of these days, kind of like me that way. Hello? Got company, Jim? You ready to go, O.B.? I'm all dressed up like a sore thumb, can't you see? <laughs> What'd you do, change your socks? <laughs> uh, this here's a U.S. Marshal, Jim. I forget his name. Uh, my name's Matt Dillon. I'm glad to know you. I'm just proud of Well, how'd you do? You heading for Dodge, Marshal? Yeah, we'll ride in with you if you like. Good. This is a big day. I've been talking O.B. into going to town for three months. He claims he don't like towns, but wait till he sees dogs. I'm happy right here with my hogs. I don't need no town. Your hogs won't miss you. Well, let's get started. I gotta be back in three days, Jim, like you promised. Them hogs will starve if I ain't. You'll be back. Oh, say, the marshal here tells me Riley got shot. No. There's Giles and Diva done it. Now, wait a minute, Richards. It looks like they did it, but if I could prove it, I'd be taking them in for trial right now. Well, it's too bad you can't, Marshal. They're no good, them fellas. Well, I can wait. They'll make a mistake sooner or later. But we better get going. It's 60 miles to Dodge. Good evening, Kitty. Sit down, Matt. Want a drink? Uh, no, thanks. I, I just had dinner. That reminds me. Fella brought me a dozen quail today. Oh? I can cook them for dinner tomorrow if you're going to be around. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll be here. They ought to be ripe enough by then. You know, I never saw as many quail as there are this year. Riding in yesterday, we put up clouds up. 
That Jim Brandt seems like a nice fellow, Matt. Obi Ridges, too. Yeah, they are, Kitty. <laughs> I sure make a funny pair. Maybe. But still, they're kind of like brothers. Look at them over there at the bar. <laughs> Obi's getting spookier every minute he's here. <laughs> Obi likes it outdoors, right out on the ground. Uh, I doubt he'll ever come into town again. Jim told me he still hasn't been able to get him to take a meal in a restaurant. He has to bring it outside for him. <laughs> Says he can drink inside, but that's all. <laughs> well, maybe we'd all be better off if we lived that way, Kitty. Not me. I don't want to live like an animal. Uh, don't you? Uh, hello, Miss Kitty. Uh, hello, Jim. Marshal, something bad happened. Uh, what, Jim? Well, this fella here just rode into town from up north. Well, he come by Obie's camp... Marshal, somebody shot Obie's mule and burnt up his wagon and killed all his hogs. That's right, Marshal. Oh, yeah. no. Giles and Beaver again, huh? Well, it's Obie I'm worried about. I never should have made him come to town, Marshal. He'll, he'll, he'll kill them fellas now. I know he will. I'll ride out with you, Jim. Right now. <laughs> I wanted to ride out to Obie Ridger's camp that night, but Obie insisted on staying in Dodge. He even tried to have a good time for Jim's sake. Next day, however, on the ride up, well, he just sat his horse and stared straight ahead and never said a word. We reached his camp after dark, and we could see his mule and his hogs lying there in the moonlight, and the remains of his wagon, charred and ghost-like. Now, there was nothing we could do then, so he lay down on the ground and went to sleep. But that was our worst mistake, as I discovered when Chester woke me next morning. Obi had disappeared, and he'd taken his rifle with him. We saddled up and rode for Turkey Bend. How much farther is it, Jim? Just beyond them trees, Chester. I told you Obi was going to kill these fellas, Marshal. Maybe they're not here. If they're not, he'll find them. Let's pull up. I don't see no cabin. It's right in there. There. There it is. See? It's... Oh, God. Wait a minute. Look over there. Behind that log. He's Obi. Hey, Obi! So we better walk over. Okay. <laughs> What are you doing, Obi? Come on, let's run for it. Beaver in there. I got him trapped. Look, Obi, I'll handle this. You can't kill these men. I done killed Giles already. That's him laying right by the door over there. Oh, Obi, you did. Blew the top of his head off. Obi, I got to put you under arrest. Now, give me your rifle. Wait till I kill Beaver. I can't hang twice. Give me that rifle, Obi. Now. You mean it, don't you? I do. All right, I won't fight you. Here. But I'd sure like to kill Beaver. Chester, hmm? take this rifle and keep an eye on him. I'm going after Beaver. Yes, sir. He'll kill you, Marshal. No. He'll be too curious at first. 
I'll walk over there with my hands up. But you'll wait here till I yell. Deaver! Don't shoot. I want to talk to you. That's far enough. Come outside. Obi's under guard. He won't shoot. I'm a U.S. Marshal, Deaver. You're the feller we run into the other day up at Riley's cabin? I am. Now come on out. I got Obi under arrest, Deaver. He admits killing Giles here. He killed him. Did you and Giles slaughter his mule and his hogs? There's no reason to murder a man. No? No, it isn't. But tell me about you. Did you murder Riley? Well, wait a minute, Mark. You're going back to Dodge with us, Deaver. Oh, no, not me. Keep your hand away from that gun. Let's see how good you really are, Marshal. No! Good for you, Marshal. Good. You killed him. Now they're both dead. Yeah, they're both dead. But you murdered one of them, Obi. Jail. I can't go to jail, Marshal. I'd go crazy. I'd go crazy in jail, don't you understand? I can't go to jail. It was a hard thing to do, but I had no choice. And I took Obi back to Dodge and locked him up. A few weeks later, he went on trial. And after long deliberation, the judge sentenced him to life imprisonment. Obi stood up and said he'd rather be hung. Then I took him back to jail. And I sat there with him for a while. I... I thank you for everything you said, Marshal. You didn't have to do that. Uh, I just tried to get the judge to believe you went crazy and you didn't know what you were doing, Obi. I knew what I was doing. I told him I did. Yeah, I know. Why wouldn't he let him hang me, Marshal? And he did what he thought was just, Obi. He didn't think you deserved hanging. I don't know how I stood it this long in jail. I, I'm sorry, Obi. I, I wish I could help you. They got windows in the penitentiary, Marshal? Sure. sure. Sure they have. Well, I, I, I'll i be around later, Obi. How's it taking it, Mr. Dillon? Uh, it's pretty hard on him, Chester. Where's Jim Branch, anyway? Oh, my, I ain't seen him since the trial was over. Well, maybe you'll come around later. Uh, I'm going to supper with Doc Chester. We'll be at Delmonico's. All right, sir.
like that could go crazy. Locked up, man? Oh, it's happened before. There's nothing I can do about it, Doc. Well, I know. I didn't mean it that way, Mac. Uh, pass me the beans, will you? These are peas, Matt, but you're welcome to them. All right, peas. Peas, then. Thank you. Uh, well, why don't you take a vacation, Matt? You know, go back east somewhere, oh, kind of like St. Louis or Kansas City or someplace like that. Maybe I don't like Tom's either. Well, that's just what I mean. You, you need a vacation, all right. Oh. Yeah. Well, if I were a rich croaker, maybe I could take one. A rich croaker? Croaker! Oh, croaker, man, how could you say... Oh, all right, man, Doc. You take it easy, well, Doc. You'll bust yeah, something. It's a fine thing when a mere policeman can insult the noblest profession known to man. I was insulting you, Doc, not the profession. Oh, croaker. Oh, I might have known what it'd be like having supper with you tonight. I'll buy you a drink after, huh? How's that? Well, I don't know. Well, I'll think about it. Dylan? Now, what's the matter, Chester? Obi Ridgers, he's dead. What? I heard a shot out back, and I run into his cell, and he was laying there dead. There's a gun on the floor. I, I don't know where he got hold of it. You better come look. Uh, he's dead all right, man. You think he killed himself, Doc? Well, the gun was held right close to his head. Yeah. Maybe somebody called him over to the window and shot him. Maybe. But he could have done it himself. The bullet ended right here, Matt. Yeah. 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 So you're saying it could be either murder or suicide, huh? That's right. Well, why would anybody murder him, Mr. Dillon? It don't make sense. Well, it could be somebody who understood how Obi felt about being cooped up the rest of his life, Chester. And somebody who liked him. A good friend. You mean Jim Branch? I don't know who used that gun, but Obi's dead. And I'm going to find Jim. Jim Branch wouldn't talk one way or the other. So I charged him with both murder and abetting a suicide. And he was brought to trial. The trial didn't last long due to lack of evidence, and Jim was freed. He left the country soon after, and I never heard of him again. And as Kitty had said, he and Obi were kind of like brothers. Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, Lawrence Dobkin, Jack Crucian, and John Daner. Parley Bear as Chester, Howard McNair as Doc, and Georgia Ellis as Kitty, Roy Rowan speaking. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, Fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. 
From all corners of the globe comes the news, edited and reported for your listening pleasure on CBS Newsroom Sunday Desk, every Sunday afternoon on most of these same CBS radio stations. Three top reporters bring you the latest up-to-the-minute news in their specialized field. Dick Joy tells you about news at home and overseas. Tom Harmon handles sports. And George Fisher reports the Movie Land news. That's CBS Newsroom Sunday Desk, tomorrow at the Star's Address. Eve Arden as Our Miss Brooks teaches you how to laugh tomorrow on the CBS Radio Network. As originally heard on CBS, that was Gunsmoke. The name of that episode was Claustrophobia. More Gunsmoke next week. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. Of course, we're going to be back in two weeks and do it all over again. And this is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me.
I look down in those trusting eyes that look to me, I realize there's love that I can't buy. Thank God for kids. Thank God for kids, there's magic for a while. A special kind of sunshine and a smile. is a child When you get down on your knees tonight and thank the Lord for his guiding light pray they turn out right thank God for kids mm -hmm. thank God for kids 